Okay, I'm recording Truman. Truman today. Well, it's a privilege. I got those all off. Okay, I was going to just turn that off for a second. It's a privilege to be talking about Truman. It really, all these presidents. I mean, even good or bad, I mean, there's lessons to be learned from all of them. So, Truman, we're going from 45 to 53. Now, you guys have you guys have been with me long enough to kind of know my teaching style. It's not a lot of I do have some classes when I taught American Foundations and I had 120 students and one time I had 240. It was crazy. They said we need you to teach an extra section and I'm like I'm not teaching an extra section about all those kids in this class. So I taught 240 down in one of the little or not the little the big the big theater rooms. That was crazy. Had a lot of PowerPoints in there. So I, I, in, in my upper division classes, I like to do a little back and forth. And, it's, and I can certainly get up here and lecture, and that's what, that's what um, Wednesday felt like last week. Uh, but I don't want to do that. I'd rather have a back and forth, kind of like a tennis match, questions. You guys are making comments. So in order to make that happen, that means everyone needs to read the chapter. See how that works? This is not church where no one reads, right? <laughs> I don't know why we haven't, and I'm bad too that way. I mean, I'm not the greatest at making sure I read the church lessons either. That's, a, that's the next step in my in the evolution of my process there. But um, I don't know why we feel like that's okay to do. Think how much better the church lessons would be if everybody read for the church lesson. They'd be, they'd be fabulous, you know, but 10% of the people read for the church lessons. So in, in these classes, I mean, even if I get 60, 70 percent, we can have a good discussion. If it's 10, 20, you know, that's, and I'm starting to answer my own questions, that's no fun for me. So make sure you're reading and coming prepared. You have to read it anyways because you're keeping yourself accountable because you're going to give yourself a participation grade. And these chapters are not long, and this is fab a fabulous book. So I'm doing, actually doing you a favor. You're welcome. You're welcome. How many people are going to grad school? A few, <laughs> um, few people are going to grad school? Okay, in grad school, at least the grad school that I went to, you'd have like five or six people. You show up, you just, I was just reading constantly. So if you don't like to read, don't go to grad school. I mean, when I say six hours a day, that's about where I was at. Six, seven hours a day just reading to prepare for classes. So you show up for class, and you got like five people there, and the professor turns to you and goes, Trent, why don't you take 15 minutes and tell us about this theory that was presented in this chapter? So that's the level that we're going from here to, to grad school level. So you have to be prepared. And I would say of grad students, most of the time, most, they're, they're prepared, but sometimes, you know, they're really busy too, and some of them have jobs. There's a couple that don't read or something, like, and you've you got you to cover for them. <laughs> so, so that's just a little grad school tip. You're welcome. Grad school is fun. If you don't like school, though, and you don't like reading, don't go to grad school. Because it's a more and more and more of that stuff. Okay. I can, get, can I get off my soapbox yet, or do you want any more life tips? School tips? Okay. You have to be good writers. This isn't my last tip. Okay. Writing is still super important. So become good writers, especially poli-sci majors. Be a good writer, or at least be adequate. Okay, so let's we'll do let's do some background, and then we'll do the presidency, and we may do a little group, quick group activity with the plus-minus system at the end here. What before we get into the background, anything just in particular stick out about Truman? Yeah. Um, I noticed they mentioned how he can control his bellicose impulses. So, like in public, he was calm and more calculated, but in private, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to destroy the Soviet Union. The weird, yeah, the weird, I'm, rem I'm reminded of the weird notes, right? We'll talk about that. Yeah. Yes. 
That, that's a good one. We'll talk about that too. Yeah, he was kind of hit or miss with something, so he'll just you, you could give a good uh, discussion kind of off the cusp, but also he could embarrass himself and embarrass people by saying things that aren't really. Yeah, he wasn't a great public speaker for sure, and then and then his informal speaking style, like you said, yeah. could cause some problems. He was like also like the opposite of FDR, and like FDR was like the apple of his parents' eye, and yeah. Kind of was like a failure in his dad's eyes because he wasn't a man's man. Yeah, it's funny these presidents that follow like great public speaking presidents usually don't aren't also great public speaking presidents, right? So Truman follows FDR, not great. You got you got recently you got Trump follows Obama. Obama's like a top guy. So Obama's like a top six seven public speaker in history. He's great. You got Bush one following Reagan. Eh. Kind of okay, public speaker. I don't know why we can't get two back to back great public yeah, speakers. No, I mean, going with that, it's weird because like his ratings were consistently really low, except for at the beginning, right? Um, but he had like really low ratings. But now today, people are like, oh, he was like actually a pretty good president. Yeah, that's a great point. And we'll talk about that at the very end and kind of how that happened. And the other interesting thing about this is our ratings for for Truman, based on the six categories, aren't going to be great. But yet he's like a six, seven, eight president. So we'll talk about why that is and, and all that too. I just had a quick question about a detail in there. How did he get into the vice presidency? Was there like a general election in the Democratic Party or was he selected they, as FDR running? You want to answer this? Yeah, it was a compromise, right? Yeah. Because he, the, the other guy that they wanted was way too extreme and so right. he was like the middle ground. Yeah. He was like the, he was like the easy. He's the uncontroversial, yeah, everybody likes Harry. Yeah. So I guess he won't cause any problems. Let's put him yeah. in the vice president. So I, I guess I was confused, was he like, did they, <coughs> they picked him. They picked him. Okay. Yeah. This is so. These are these are these are the people around Truman, his in his uh, you know the advisors cabinet that are saying, look, this would be a good choice. Okay. I noticed that um, one of the things he did for a second election is he promised a really liberal civil rights agenda. Yeah. And started to alienate the um, Southern Democrats, which have been a base of the Democrats for a long time. So could that possibly be like the um, start of the shift of the South from Democrats to Republicans? I don't. I mean, I think I don't think it's the start of the shift, but I think it's it plays into it's a factor in in things. But um, yeah, that he was definitely ahead of his time on some of that stuff, right? So okay, look, good points. You guys read my little my little uh, email was enough to inspire you. <laughs> you guys better read. I I, I was telling. I was telling my kids, I was like, I was like, they didn't. I don't think they read very many people read on on Wednesday. I was kind of mad about it, and uh, I was like, because I have kicked people out of class before. I've kicked whole classes out for not reading. Back when I was like Henri, like ten years ago, it's kind of fun. I was like, I don't do that. I won't do that to them. I'll just give them a little stern reminder. But, um, background. So very Midwestern, Missouri. Uh, Mama's boy. Yeah, dad died at 20, so fairly fairly young. So let's talk about this real quick. It was sort of the reverse. FDR, FDR, it was, I don't know that FDR was a mama's boy. He just had this close relationship because his mom was the helicopter mom. So Truman was a mama's boy, very close to his mother. The, the book didn't get into it a ton. I was just listening. Did anybody listen to the the podcast as well on this? They were talking. Anybody doing Trump for the, or Trump Truman? They're both TRs. Truman for the paper. Nobody picked Truman either. In the in the well, if you want to do it for extra credit, in the podcast it talks about Mama's Boys and they're interviewing. You guys know who David McCullough is? David McCullough is probably the most famous presidential historian. He's written a number of biographies, and he said, I, you know, Mama's Boys are interesting because. It depends on who the mama is. <laughs> if the mama's a good person and she she holds you up to good standards, uh, then you turn out to be a good mama's mama's boy. Mama's boys that when the, where the mom doesn't hold them accountable and gives them things, those aren't the kinds of mama's boys we want. So um, they're kind of funny stories. So he joined the he joined the national. Well, let's talk about his education first. So he what he didn't go to college. Nearly all of our president, presidents went to college at some point, right? This, so he's unique in that sense. So is, is it just him and Ford 
out of our of our, of our, our modern model. ones. Because I know Ford didn't, because Friday's video talked a lot about that. Yeah. No, Ford went to Michigan. Did yeah. he? Yeah. Or was it just Truman then? It's Truman in our modern ones. He's the only one, yeah. He's the only one I can think of. Yeah, Ford, okay. he, Ford went to Michigan on a football scholarship. Yeah. The, uh, so you'd have to go back a ways. So Truman's the, like the only one. Of the moderns. Modern. Yeah. So, but you would, be, you would be mistaken to think that just because Truman didn't go to college that he wasn't smart and, and educated. He was just educated. He was self-educated. Yeah, the the you guys didn't see the clip because you had a I couldn't get the old I gave you a bunch of different clip, biography clips because I couldn't get the old film that I used for years. In that one it, it talks about how it was said of him that he read every book in the library um, growing up. So he was self-educated, he read a ton. He loved classical music. And so he was really he was smart, but it was a kind of a different process for him. Then he just like enlist like after I so yeah. So he National Guard. So he cheated on the eye exam. Yeah. He had he had really he memorized the eye chart because he had really bad eyesight, even as a kid. And then and that so he knew he would fail the test. So he memorized it. My dad paid the DMV worker <laughs> fifty bucks to give him the test, like to give him what you have to write. And so he went home and memorized it. So he didn't, so he could like get a driver's license without glasses requirement. It's pretty illegal. I got blackmail information on yes. my family now. This is great. Let me write that down. It's so, I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's kind of an unfortunate story in terms of, because I think Harry Truman is somebody that has integrity, but obviously this is an example of, you know, cheating the system a little bit. So, so that's kind of how he got his education. Um, he would, when he, he loved the, he loved classical music, and when there was classical music in town, he would he would go and attend and he'd actually take the score, and and look at the score like if Mozart was playing he'd look he'd take the score and so he loved that kind of stuff. Um, he got he was in business first before he gets into politics. He ran uh, he with his I think it was with his best friend uh, a clothing business the book called a haberdashery it's a men's clothing business and uh, they didn't do very well. Right, this is in 1922, and then so how does he get into politics? He's recruited by the Pendergast, and, and the guy who recruited him actually ended up in jail later. So, for corruption. So this was the political machine in Kansas City, right? Political machines are kind of at their height in the in the late 19th century into the early 20th century. And we, you know, we talk a lot about the like Foss Tweed in New York City, right? The Chicago political machine, but other cities had political machines, and this is a kind of a holdover. Kansas City has its own version of this, and these political machines were, for the most part, usually corrupt. Foss Tweed ends up in jail, right? In in New York City. Then at the end of his administration, at least in the book, I thought it said that he said that his goal was that Poland's election would be at least as. Um, as like fair as that one, <laughs> like he like he was like comparing like he knew his election wasn't fair at all, and he hoped that Poland, when he like he agreed, I, I believe at the chapter it said he like negotiated with Stalin to be able to get the at least some token non-communists in Poland's government, so that their elections could be semi-fair, and he said that he just wanted to be as semi-fair as Pendergast's elections. Yeah, yeah. Um. So this is, he, he's recruited to do what? Be a judge, right? So I think he served on a few judgeships. Can you be a judge without being a lawyer first? You can. Yeah. It's, it's uncommon, but we've had Supreme Court justices that didn't have any, didn't have, that didn't, well, didn't have judicial experience before that became Supreme Court justices. Yeah, so you you don't have to be. I mean, usually that's the path. Ninety nine percent of the time, that's the path. But um, so he became a U.S. senator after this, and one of his interests was budgetary process. So somebody's got to like budgets. It's getting, I do my own taxes. It's getting that time again, and every year I'm like, eh, 
I shouldn't do my own taxes. I'm sick of it. <laughs> so I, I like numbers enough, uh, and, I, and, and I think budgets are important, but I don't love budgets like Harry Truman did. Um, he chaired a Senate committee investigating waste and fraud in the defense industry. He was known as he was on the Appropriations Committee, hardworking, straight shooter. He believed in something called the great man theory of leadership. And this could apply to women as well, of course. What is this theory? History is like shaped by the decisions of like really important and inspired people. Yeah, history. You know, you're kind of born. These people are born, and they 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 come at a certain time. And it, it it's it's very it it really fits into the LDS narrative well, right? Don't we also kind of believe in this theory? Yeah, that you're you're sort of pre certain. You know, we're, we all are. We all we're all predestined to be born when we're born, but in particular, some of us have certain certain missions and and things that are maybe on a small scale, a lot of us, but others others great missions. I mean, we believe this of in in probably you know people like Washington's case in within our faith um, that Washington was certainly born for the time period that he was in. You know, even though Washington obviously not LDS, he has had his temple work done. Um, really? Yes. Yeah, we did all we did all those. Yeah, we've done them all. We did, and they and they, so when we we started when we started doing work for the dead, we we. We started with those folks, that like the Washingtons and the, yeah. So, you know, certainly, in Washington's, Washington's interesting. That's another story, but religious, but not, not, uh, not affiliated at all, really. I mean, I think I think you'll hear people in our church like try to try to make Washington way more religious than he really was, um, but, but he's. Yeah. Yeah. So certainly religious, very in in, but not not really affiliated. But like you know, he prayed and he believed in God and just kind of more more of an abstract. Um, Is that still recording? You were so good. Yeah. Thank you. You're looking out for those online soon. Okay. So let's, so now the vice presidency, how he got in there, we sort of talked about that already. An uncontroversial choice to become vice president. So you see these, and you know, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt was put in at the, to the vice presidency because we have to get him out of New York and, and we'll put him in as vice president and that'll be a safe place to put him. It's not. <laughs> it's not the bad idea, that's what I'm saying. So don't. I mean, don't put people in the vice presidency that you don't want to be president because it can happen easily. So don't don't stick a guy like a Teddy. I mean, Teddy turned out to be one of the great presidents. But it's safe as long as the president's still alive. It's safe as long as the president's still alive, right? But it can turn quickly, right? So Truman, and with Truman, he becomes, you know, president in short order, and is. You know, doesn't have a ton of experience in terms of that. I mean, he has some Senate experience. He has some political experience. He understands budgets and things like that. So he has he has some decent experience. But FDR has not prepared him to be president of the United States. So that's another thing. We in our in our textbook we used to have a chapter just on vice presidents. Do we? It got taken out, right? It wasn't in this chapter, was it? In this book? Yeah, they took it out. Um, and one of the things we we always talked about is look. You know, you need to put someone in the vice president that has all of the skills and abilities you want in a president, and some, and you need to train them, and not just and not just stick them there as a placeholder, right? I think you also mentioned how different just their like their actual methods of being president. Like, FDR yeah. was very much like he did everything himself, and Truman was much more like relied on other people. Yeah, absolutely. FDR is like a movie star, right? He and very out there and and. Arrogant a little bit, right? Um, and I'm going to do. And he, and he was confident, and, and he, he had a reason to be confident. Truman's very much, you know, rely on other people. Um, there's a great story in the podcast that talks about how you know George Marshall was his secretary of state. George Marshall was a, a general in the military, and 
his advisor said, don't put Marshall in as Secretary of State because people will say he, he'll make a better president than you. And what do you think Harry Truman said? Get him in. He, yeah, he said, he said he would make a better president than me. Right? Is that, I don't know that that's something FDR would have said. <laughs> so he's very humble. He wanted to put the best people around him. He's very secure in his own skin. Um, down to earth. I like those kinds of I like those kinds of presidents. So he had those he had those qualities. Well, then um, why, why does Greenstein bag on him so hard? I don't know what Greenstein's deal is with him. What do you think? But did Greenstein did Greenstein show his colors in this chapter a little kind of. too much? Yeah. We're academics. He should be neutral here. I think like a lot of his a lot of Greenstein's criticism of. How Truman seemed to like switch back and forth on a lot of like a lot of things. Yeah. How like at first he like when he was with like he would say things about nuking Russians and stuff, but then he like sacked uh, MacArthur for wanting to do the same thing to China or yeah like all these different. It's like he seemed like he was the way Greenstein portrayed him was more like he kept switching back. And forth. Okay, he didn't like that. He seemed to see the way. Yeah, and my take on it kind of is some of this stuff is just is just Harry being Harry. He's not really, he's thinking out loud. He's not really going to do it, right? Um, so more so with Ford, but like, isn't it kind of undemocratic when the vice president becomes president? Because like, nobody really elects the vice president. If they just get picked by you, the president, right? I mean, You do now, you do for a long time now because they're on the same ticket. But like, so when you, you so that's the way you need to think about it. When you elect a president, you're also electing the vice president. Yeah. You technically elect him. It just seems weird. And then yeah. like with Ford, when he, like, he switched halfway through or whatever, then nobody voted for him, right? Because like, whoever was the precursor to Ford as vice president, I think in the video it said he like got switched out. Half, it was something he resigned under Nixon or something. There was a bunch of VPs. Yeah, there yeah. was um, yeah, there was all that scandal and stuff, and they put Ford in. We'll, we'll talk about this when we get to Ford, but Ford was the similar, it's sort of similar to Truman. Ford was this guy that everybody respected, uncontroversial. Let's put him in. Yeah. Um, so, so Ford's different than Truman because Ford wasn't elected, right? The vice president is usually usually elected as vice president. We just didn't elect him to be president, but you, that's the way we need to think about it. So the other thing in the vice presidency chapter that we always talk about is first ladies. So my advice too is the first ladies are so active now that you ought to be thinking about the first lady as someone who is part of the ticket. If, if the first lady is going to be a problem, that's something you may want to consider. I have kind of a stupid question. So if there's going to be a woman president, is First man. First man? Yeah, we were talking about it last time. First gentleman. First gentleman. Yeah. They, well, they don't, yeah, first, we don't, I mean, I think that's, I don't know if they'd settled on something or. That's Kamala Harris's is that what they're calling? That's what they're, that, that's right. That's what they're calling him. But he's, he's not very involved because he's a lawyer. I actually interviewed his law partner for my senior project yesterday, last week. So, but he, he he works at a law firm in L.A. So I don't know how involved. Hold on, you interviewed who? Kamala Harris's husband's law partner. Oh, his partner. Yeah. So for my senior project, I'm interviewing lawyers. How did you get that that hookup? I it, I've been it, interviewing lawyers. They'll refer me to another lawyer, and then I just got referred to him. Yeah, that's how what I found. I just I just when I'm trying to meet with people, I just ask. They yeah. just, and then you, you get these appointments, you're like, oh, they said yes. So it was cool. It was really cool. But, but he's like, he still has a job, you know? He's a partner at a law firm, so I don't know yeah. how much the first. Well, we talked a lot about it with Clinton, not only because, you know, she had a real chance of being elected. And if we, if we ran that election three more times, she would have won all three. So we'll get back to that in just a second, because this chapter is about polling. Yeah, yeah so... I'll talk. I'll answer that. But let me forget to answer that, because the polling was bad in his in in the second election for Truman. So, the the problem with Clinton was this is a guy that not only he'll be first gentleman, but he's been president. So how do we use someone like that? Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Okay. So Harry comes in, and well, he he doesn't know about the nuclear weapon. We talked about this last time. That, that he is going to be asked to maybe use. There's a, there's a really funny story with um, FDR's, FDR's wife, Eleanor. He's meeting with her, and she says, that she says um, well, he says, 
is there anything we can do for you? For you? And she's like, Harry, is there anything we can do for, for you? You're the, you're the one in trouble now. <laughs> so she, she, she's well aware of what it is to be, to be president of the United States. So what do you guys, why, why doesn't he know? Is this, just a, is this just an FDR emotional intelligence issue? Yeah. Isn't it just because of the responsibility of like doing like nuclear weapons? Like it's only meant to be for the president now. So yeah, he's the vice president. He should, he's and he became president. Yeah, he should have been on this. To he, there, there's no question, 100. percent Harry Truman should have known about this Manhattan Project. Right. Well, I think something else that was interesting was the advisors knew really, like they knew all about it. So they were ready to use it, even if Truman. There was a big group that knew. I mean, it was a whole bunch and a whole bunch of scientists that were working on this. It wasn't just a small. I think even when he knew, like, the book even says all of his advisors were, it wasn't like, it wasn't that they were divided on if they should use it, just how they should yeah. use it. So it's like, he's learned about it, and then they're all like, hit the button. And stuff. Yeah, so we'll get to that in just a second. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, this is, a, this is a lesson for presidents. Let your, you know, train your vice presidents, let them know about important issues, because they could become, you know, you're a, you're a heartbeat away from being president of the United States. And this is a big deal. I mean, you're coming in with information that's kind of shocking that you have this bomb that blows up cities. You probably want to know. What if there, I mean, to compare it to like today, what if, what if our vice president didn't know? There's a new, there's a new project, let's call it the Brooklyn Project, and we, have, we now have this laser that we can just shoot and it blows up cities. I mean, that's the level, that would be close, like Star Wars, right? It's the Death Star. That would be similar to what we're talking about here. This is a weapon that you, you know, you couldn't even imagine it existed, right? So you should probably know about that. So if you're advice, if we have a laser that blows things up, planets, make sure that, and you're advising the president, make sure the vice president knows. Okay, so let's just go to that decision. I have a personal connection to World War II through my grandfather who fought in World War II. He was a Marine. He was a, what was known as a tunnel rat. So he would go down in the tunnels, you know, kind of, kind of after everything was, you know, the, the, the active hostilities had ended to make sure people weren't in those things. This was a very dangerous job. He, he did make it home alive, uh, mentally not so much. Um, he had very bad post-traumatic stress disorder and, and became an alcoholic after, afterwards. That's a whole other story. So, and he came back with lots of Japanese swords that he sold way too early. He had like 12 of these Japanese swords. You know how much money those suckers would be worth now? So much money. So much money. I'm so mad at him. <laughs> so We'd be selling that on eBay for like $100,000 right now. Um, so of course, they're sort of similar. Like all the Nazi paraphernalia from World War II is like, there's people that collect this stuff. Super it's worth, worth a ton of money. Anyways, so he was on a bunch of those islands in the war. Uh, also was in China for a little while. And he would have for sure been part of the invasion into mainland Japan. Okay, so Harry's got to, Harry Truman's got to make this decision: Do you drop this bomb that you've just learned about, or do you, or do you have this invasion that's going to kill not only hundreds of thousands of Japanese people, but also, you know, probably probably at least a hundred thousand American soldiers, right? Yeah, I mean, it was even higher. I mean, that's a low end. That's a low, the low end of it. So, and, and, and Harry's a math person, right? Now, obviously it looks bad. I mean, in retrospect, it would be really nice if we could say we weren't the only country to ever use nuclear weapons. I mean, I'm, that would be wonderful. But, but you have to put it in the context of, of what's going on here. And Harry's a math person. He's trying to figure this out. And he just does the calculations. He's like, maybe it could have been up to a million people if we can't Japanese and Americans together. And I'm going to drop, I think I can do it with one bomb that might kill, you know, 100,000. The estimates for Hiroshima and Nagasaki are 100,000 to 200,000 people then. So you're saving maybe hundreds of thousands of lives by dropping the bomb. So that, so that to him, was a pretty easy decision. Like the, the estimates originally, like the people who worked on the Manhattan Project, thought it would only, like, kill, like, 25 to 30,000. It killed way more, right? And then the radio. So if you want to just totally depress yourself, yeah. go read the book Hiroshima. So has anybody read this book? Well, I haven't read it, but I read a book about the uh, Manhattan Project. And it oh. talks about how 
scientists, when they heard how successful they were all celebrating, but then they were told the effects, and all of them went quiet, and one went out and threw up. Yeah. So that yeah. So if you want to know what it's like to be bombed by a nuclear bomb, and and read about the families and what happened to the families, and then the aftermath with the with the radiation and stuff, the book is Hiroshima. It's brutal. So, you know, I studied. I'm well aware of what happened, and 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 I I think it's a really hard decision. I I I might I might just do the same thing Truman did, just based on the numbers. Um, so it's a tough it's a tough one, but it really wasn't tough for Truman. Any, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, in the book it said he just, like, what made it easier is they had already predetermined that that's what they were going to do. Like, the government had, and he just said... I'm it was gonna, in motion. Yeah, he said, I'm just going to let, let FDR's plans just go through. So here's the other thing that you, you guys, some of you know your World War II history pretty well. So what, what had already happened on Japanese soil, we had bombed the heck out of almost every single city in Japan with firebombs. Uh, the Japanese cities were mostly made out of wood, and we burned almost every single major city to the ground prior to this. And they hadn't surrendered. This had a lot to do with the culture and the, and the emperor, the control the emperor had. I mean, really what probably should have happened is, I think if it was any other country, they probably wouldn't have just surrendered way in advance of this. But it was a pride thing where we don't give up, you know, and you had, you had some of these sol Japanese soldiers they found on islands like 12 years later that are like living off the land and like not surrendering. I mean, that was the culture. You know, we're willing to dive bomb our planes into ships for the country. I respect that. There's a lot of respect that goes with that. So, so that all played into it. So it wasn't just like, oh, yeah. We had already tried a lot of different things to get them to surrender. So unfortunate, but that's sort of how... How it happened. Uh, didn't they also want to use the fact that they dropped the bombs as like for signaling? Yeah, yeah. Other than just like to stop the war with Japan, but also to to the Russians later. Yeah. Yeah, we got this. That's kind of one of maybe the, one of the negative things of it. Is it started an arms race, right? The Russians are like, oh, dang it, we gotta we gotta get going now, and you get an arms race, and we'll be talking about the arms race as we move forward. The arms the arms race was never as close as as kind of was perceived. Um, by the American populace. The Russians never, they were always pretty, pretty there was pretty big gap all the way. Yeah, they caught up eventually, but not during the most of the time we're going to be talking about. And now they, I mean, obviously we have equal, basically equal numbers of nuclear weapons. And then, and then the other thing is, um, the Russians have actually made some advances in nuclear weapons uh, recently that, that um, we haven't been doing a ton. Didn't they, like, pull out, like, the level of, like, nuclear weapons, like, during the 1980s? Because I know, like, in the 1950s, like, the U.S. had, like, way time more. Yes, and then we, we yes, we were way ahead, and then we lit, we, we pared them way down because we had a number of agreements. The SALT accord, the SALT treaties mm -hmm. that we signed with the Russians to decrease nuclear weapons right. got, them, got them down, and so they're fairly equal right. now. But, I mean, we're, we're still talking about, what, about 3,000, I think 3,000 or so. so what was that? I was looking at a stat on this. Um, we basically we have enough to bomb most major cities in the world multiple times with with bombs. So, isn't it like we have the third most, and then Russia has second most, and China has more disposable? Like I thought, Russia gets to have more than us because their nuclear weapons aren't as advanced, so they're not as. No, it's us and it's us and Russia way ahead of everybody. Yeah. Well, and it's like a really pertinent topic because, you know, Putin just announced, like, he's not afraid to use nuclear weapons. Yeah. And the one you're talking about, are you talking about the oxygen one where it sucks up, it yes. lights the oxygen yeah. on fire? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been, yeah, I've been reading that because... They're a little scary. Yeah, because Belarus yes. just agreed that they let Russia put those nukes in Belarus. So anyways, uh, now that we're talking about it, we'll maybe just take a sidebar for a second. So this is, so Ukraine, okay? Guys, don't listen to, don't... Study the issues and think about it for yourself. There's a lot of like people just spouting off about things they have no idea what they're talking about. This idea that you can just like, I would love, I would love nothing else than to go help the Ukrainians. As, as we, it's way more complicated than that. You, it was like, let's just go. Let's. No, you have a crazy person as the head of this country that's that's ordering this invasion, and he's got thousands of nuclear weapons, and I'm not sure he wouldn't use them. I'm, I'm not sure. 
And I think, I think people at the highest levels of our government are a little freaked out about this. And they're doing things like trying to back channel right now with, with Putin and the Russians say, hey, hold on a second. Let's talk about this um, just to keep things calm. Um, it, it's, I think we're okay, but it's really scary because it only would take one or two things to happen to have this thing escalate in a bad, bad way. Um, not to freak anybody out, but things like if, if the Russians, you know, they're threatening Sweden. If the Russians attack Sweden, there's no question we're, we're going to war. If the Russians attack a NATO member, we're going to war. If the Russians launch, launch a, a nuclear weapon anywhere, we're launching weapons. So it's pretty scary. Didn't, wasn't there like a class? Because there was like a Turkish <laughs> ship that got attacked, and it wasn't a question that it was Russian or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm, I like what I'm seeing, and Biden's going to get criticized for this Ukrainian-Russian war. Um, I think he's in a I think he's in a real tough position. I don't know what I would do if I was president because of what I just mentioned. I mean, I think I think he's doing what what I might do is sanctions and try to talk, and but you can't just rush. Troops into there. It's not going to work. Yeah, they're not in. They're not in Ukraine though. Yeah, yeah. Now the good news is, and you, if you guys have been following this, the good news is the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians aren't messing around. They're actually fighting. So. Big bomb nuclear. We're just talking about like smaller, like smaller right. Things. But like, isn't that like kind of like pushing him to like use that effort? Then he's a, he just does he did that to just kind of scare folks like, and say, hey, hey, I need to keep things aren't maybe going the way I I thought they would go, and we could just roll in there and like it like we did eight years ago and take over Crimea. So so if I I talk about nuclear weapons, that'll scare folks even more. And I don't think that's what no. I don't think his moves. He has underestimated. He thought he was just going to be able to take Ukraine really easy, and that's not happening at all. So, and then the other thing that's interesting in terms of Russia is there's a lot of protests happening, and then his some of his inner cabinet folks and his supporters have come out against him. That's unusual. So, so there's some like good signs. Um, I don't know that we're going to get a great outcome in Ukraine, but anyways. Sort of related to what we were talking about. Did you have a thought? I was kind of about the, the Ohio where I just wasn't sure why exactly he was, why exactly that was said and what exactly that meant when it said wall talks were going on. I, I just didn't know what that meant. That actually reminds me, one time, I remember the news a few years ago, um, it was in the news that Russia said, we have the news in every single American major city. And I was like, holy crap, they're doing that. And I talked to my dad about it, and he's like, well, basically what we said is, haven't you always been doing that? Yeah, yeah the, the, I mean, the, the idea of nuclear deterrence, and, you know, it's, we're sort of hypocrites because we try, to get it, we try to get countries to sign up to the non-proliferation agreement, yet we have thousands of nuclear weapons. But the idea with us and Russia is that, is that because we have so much, we can, it's a counterbalance, right? But that doesn't work for crazy people. And, I, and Putin's, he scares me. He scares me. Some people say that one reason he didn't do it under Trump because Trump threatened to bomb Moscow out of existence, and they're like, it's like the same way. Like, are you gonna take the word of a crazy man to just not do it? Yeah. Calls bluff on that. So. Um, the other thing I did want to bring up too, as as I was thinking about this with with Putin, is also be aware in terms of our class. We have a constitution that, for the most part, presidents follow, and we have term limits. And it would be nearly impossible to. Why is Putin still president of Russia? So he keeps changing the constitution. He changed it multiple times so that he could stay there. That's a problem for a democracy. You can't have that. You can't have coups. You can't have leaders that can stay forever, right? And so we're in this situation because now speaking of coups, that would be the best scenario. If, if I don't think it's going to happen, but if, if there was a coup that could take out Putin, second best scenario, someone assassinated him. Wouldn't this be the best chance for a coup for him? I think this is the most. I don't. I don't know that it's going to happen, but the, I think this is the most susceptible he's been for a coup since he's been there. Yeah, he's got a lot of support. Yeah, he's got a lot of support. Even our, even the right. In America supports Putin. The far right supports. I was talking to my dad and my mom last night, 
about this, and they're like, yeah, Putin has every right to do that because NATO's encroaching on his border. And there's like, yeah, and you know, even Donald Trump said something similar. And so there, there's like the far right in our country who even believes that Putin is, is justified in what he's doing. Just because, yeah, and you're, I'm just preaching to the choir here, but just because countries are in an alliance, that doesn't give, and they're talking to another country about for, coming into that alliance, that doesn't give yeah. you the right to invade a free, a, a, a sovereign country just because you want to. But in Putin's mind, he's thinking of it like a realist. If, like, uh, yes, he is. a dangerous foe is right in his backyard, that is dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you could say, you could say this is realism. That's why he's doing it, and it fits that narrative really well. The other thing to think about is Putin's wanted Ukraine for 20 years. So he sees that he's seen this as an opportunity. Oh, now's my chance. All this stuff's happening. They, they're talking about joining NATO. Now I go, right? Yeah, it's completely opportunistic because yeah. he's surrounded by other NATO countries bordering with other NATO countries. No, this is this is more about Ukraine than anything. I know. So like, this is, for this him is to the say gem. It's that it has to be a front. Ukraine's the country. <laughs> Ukraine's Ukraine's the the be, the best of the former USSR countries. Wasn't Ukraine one of just the best countries? Like Ukraine's so awesome. A lot of reasons to know one of the best. Yeah. The yeah. So so if you can get super and I don't think if and, and the other problem is what's what why stop at Ukraine. When you can just get more. Yeah, you can just get more. Yeah. Didn't the United States invade Cuba, though, when they aligned themselves with Russia? We didn't invade Cuba. We, we, we attempted, we'll talk about this later, too. We attempted multiple assassinations on Fidel Castro, and we trained Cuban, former Cuban nationalists to go and, and invade Cuba. And it didn't work because they knew we were coming. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, that was a good sidebar. We, it was helpful to talk about that, I think. So, and we can finish some of Truman on Wednesday. So let's get back into um, Truman's presidency. Now I can't come back from the sidebar here. So he had, in his first year, um, popular, I think that, that shows like the bomb decision. People kind of agreed with that. And he had an 87% Approval rating. Is that higher than Bush? No, because I think Bush, Bush was in the 90s. Yeah, like low 90s. So, um, well, let, let's talk about the, um, well, what's the Truman Doctrine? We got IRCP folks here. And because this is important, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to the foreign policy. Yes, international International relations compared to politics. Oh, Yeah, so Truman Doctrine. <laughs> So was it giving money to Western Europe to reconstruct? That's the Marshall Plan. That's the Marshall Plan. Yeah. Yeah, just don't stop spreading communism, correct? So yeah, so you got to stop the spread of communism by doing what? By countering it somehow, right? And the, it, it, it's almost this notion of communism will spread like a disease, right? Into the countries of Europe and then later in places like South America, right? So if you don't if you don't counter it, or or e either with with military stuff or by helping countries stop the spread of communism, it'll just keep growing, right? So that becomes kind of the preeminent doctrine, foreign policy doctrine of a bunch of different presidents. And in the end, we're going to talk about Reagan. In the end, it's successful, I think, right? This idea that we should counter communism, we should try to stop it. Now that doesn't mean that all the decisions we made. From Truman to were great decisions. I mean, we did some things that, frankly, are I'm embarrassed about, like assassinating the president of South Korea just so we could control Korea, or sorry, yeah, um, a Vietnam, South Vietnam. Um, so, would you consider? And I know we're probably jumping way ahead. But would you consider like the um, us aiding the uh, Afghans in the uh, in the 1980s? Would you consider that being successful under with the Truman? Yes, it's part of the Truman Doctrine for sure. Right. Yeah. Would you consider that successful today, though, or would you In light of what happened with Osama bin Laden? Sure. You know what I mean? This is a complicated story. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I'm not making it a jump ahead, but it's like since we're in that ballpark. That's a, that's a great hypothetical. Does Osama bin Laden become Osama bin Laden without going to Afghanistan and fighting the Soviets? Probably not. <laughs> um, no, I mean, if you look at it in two pieces, that's sort of the bad outcome. That comes out of that. It was but good in the beginning. It was good at the time. Yeah. No. You guys know we were allied. We were actually allied, kind of allied with 
Bin Laden group. Yeah. We find all those groups. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. What about the Marshall Plan? Since we're... I mean, that was a great economic plan for The Marshall Plan, re rebuilding, funding Europe. Um, there were some things in there like the Berlin airlift where the, the Soviets had cut off Berlin and we, we, we airlifted supplies in there for folks. Um, that's all viewed as really successful. Dr. Lenhart, his family got the Marshall Plan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, is his, his dad's Austrian? Yeah, they had, yeah. A, they had a hotel where they housed soldiers and the, the U.S. soldiers had like completely annihilated the hotel. And yeah. So they got like a ton of money from the Marshall Plan. So yeah, um, a lot of like for the who who is who is your international? Who else is international? Okay, so it, one of the things you guys talk about in international relations, compared to politics uh, classes, is is wars and how to end wars. This is textbook on how you end a war. You you defeat your enemy, you really defeat them, and then when you don't just take off, you try to rebuild, you try to help them. Yeah, and it worked out real well in Germany and. Japan, strangely enough, loves America. I don't know how this happened, but it's like we have a great, we have this great relationship. Um, I mean, maybe it's, I think it says more about the Japanese than it says about us. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty forgiving culture, I think. Um, I mean, they're slightly revisionist in terms of how they portray their history, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm speaking of kind of a, yeah, I'm doing a, a high-level overarching generalization. generalization. Like, there's plenty of Japanese that don't like Americans, um, but from the general, that's sort of that's sort of the reality of the situation. And I think some of it does have to do with the fact that we stuck around, we helped them implement their constitution. The constitution we wrote their constitution, um, and built them up. And had them become an ally and all that. Aren't we also basically like their big brother in the world? Like if yes, and then, and then all that stuff, all the, the close relationship we have. I mean, we're there's not a country in Asia that we're closer with than Japan, is there? Maybe no. South Korea. I mean, yeah, maybe South Korea. You could argue South Korea. So that that's kind of a, you know we talk about the special relationship we have with the Brits. That's kind of our Asian special relationship. Um, Germany, Germany, same kind of deal. Um, you know, good relationship with Germany now, help build them up, and and so it's a kind of a textbook. Now, the, one of the one of the downsides to some of that is it, it gave us the belief that we could country build, and we have not done a great job of country building in in a lot of you know you think of like Vietnam, that didn't go great. Iraq, Iraq, let's wait and see. Iraq's turning out a little better. Hey, there's some part there's some parts of Iraq that are functioning really, really well. Really well. So so let's talk about Iraq in twenty years. Afghanistan I don't want to beat up on the Afghans, but I don't know that anybody can Afghanistan's a special case. I mean I think Afghanistan might be the worst country to that you could possibly think of the country built. I mean, I, can anybody think of a worse place to try to? I mean, it would be on. It's got to be down there. <laughs> Yemen, 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 right? There's one. Yemen's right there too. I mean, these countries that have like hundreds of years of history of like tribal rule, and they fight all the time, and they haven't had a centralized government really much ever. They're really difficult to try to country build with. So. So big, huge success for, for Truman on Marshall Plan, um, even ending the war. And I think that's why when we look back, you know, Truman wasn't remembered as a very good president, actually kind of an average president while he was there. But as historians look back and we, and we have some hindsight, he's like really hard now. So it has to do with that, all that stuff. Okay, um, the second term, it looks like he's going to lose, right, to Dewey. So the picture I showed you. So what happened, this is, a good, this is a cool story. So the Chicago Tribune, well the polling was saying Dewey was gonna win, right? And the pollsters kind of quit polling the last two weeks. And so they, there was, a, there was a, a printer strike. And the, the paper was like, we gotta get this, we gotta get this done before, we, before they knew the results. This is the night before. They, so they printed the article based on the polling, thinking there's no way that, that uh, Truman's gonna win this. 
And so, lo and behold, he wins. Um, the, the, what, what had happened is, uh, the stat, in the podcast I talked about this, one out of seven people decided in the last two weeks who they were going to vote for, and three quarters of those people voted for Truman. So it can turn really quickly. Okay, so now to Trump and Hillary Clinton. The, the, the polling, the pollsters got beat up in that election because they, everyone said, well, they said that, they said that Clinton was going to win. That's not how polling works, right? When you do polling, you're making an estimate, right? You're, you're taking a, you're taking, you're taking, when what, what we like to do is take all these different samples across the country, put them together in the aggregate and say, this is what the numbers say. So the numbers said there's a 75% chance that Hillary Clinton's going to win this election, and there's a 25% chance that, that Trump's going to win. So that's why I say if we ran the election three more times, because Trump won once, Hillary won three more times. So this was the one time, polling tricky. This was the one time Trump would have won out of, out of if we ran it four times, right? So it's like basketball, right? If, you, if you, you analyze the basketball teams and you say, if these guys play 10 times, this team's going to win seven times out of 10, right? Does that make sense? That's really how polling works. So that's how, that's how, that's how you kind of got to look at it, right? I, was, I, thought, I thought there was no way that Trump would win either. I was looking at the same stuff. But really, you know, he had a 25% chance and... That was the time that he that he won. So it's one of the, I think I think predicting elections is one of the most difficult things that we do in we do in political science. Okay, so this is what we got to do. We are kind of at the beginning of the second term, so we'll finish that up on Wednesday, and then we'll get into his ratings, and then we'll go to Eisenhower. Don't let me forget that I've got to do just a little bit on it. Yeah, and, and don't let me forget to talk about MacArthur, because I think that's important. Do you, how do you personally, Dr. Rose, think that the Ukraine's going to end up? Do you think they're just going to eventually lose?